Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and this is the show where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about why you and your teams should stop being accountable and learn how to be more count-onable. And I'm pleased to welcome uh, Jeff Cohen, who's the CEO and founder of C-Level Roundtable and the author of the book, Count Onable. Jeff, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Dave. It's great to be here. That's a pleasure. So I've got to start by jumping right in here and asking you the question about accountability versus being count onable. What does count onable mean? Well, you know, I think, first off, people really relate to the word accountable. Like, they have a strong relationship to it. Unfortunately, it's not usually a good one. And so when you hear people say, I need you to be accountable, or your team needs to be accountable. Um, it's never like coming from a place where, oh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. It's usually coming from a place of, oh, yeah, last night I saw someone being held accountable on the news. They were going to jail. And right. nobody wants that. And in fact, what happens is it's a very restrictive concept. But it's one that's really critical for businesses to be able to embrace and leverage, or what happens is things don't get done. So, you know, I started working with executives and entrepreneurs, uh, CEOs of, of good-sized companies, and everyone was frustrated with the accountability levels on their team. And as I did, I noticed, you know, people take real pride in the things they're great at, the things they love doing, and the things that um, they have strengths in. So I started thinking about like, well, how can we shift the entire conversation from one where the boss, I was showing you my little boss buddy here, right? <laughs> where the boss is saying, you have to be accountable to one where people can just say, look, you can count on me. I'm there. Like, I can do this and that and the other thing. Like, you can count on me. I will get that done. But I won't do the laundry. And I think that's really the big takeaway I want people to get is that being count onable empowers people to be able to say what they can be counted on for. And if you have the kind of organization where you, you're able to eliminate the penalty zone where people are uncomfortable telling you they don't want to do something or they're not the right person for it, if you can remove that, you'll be able to get to a point where people can say, look, I'm not going to do the laundry. I know you want me to do it, but I'm no good at it. I bleach the colors. I can't fold the little kids' clothes in six pieces, you know, whatever that is, right? And so, you know, being count onable is, is um, really designed to empower the individual, to empower the leader, and to enable leaders to develop teams of leaders. Yeah, so it's about ownership and mindset and perspective and, and being count-onable. I, I always want to keep saying accountable, but being count-onable um, in the context of that they're bought in and they're going to be doing what it is that they are presumably good at because you say, uh, you know, but I can't do the laundry. But what if the laundry is somehow part of their job responsibilities, or if, if your boss doll asks somebody to do the laundry, if it's even outside of the scope of their normal, du normal duties. 
Well, you know, it's a really great question. I get asked that a lot, especially in organizations below, you know, 20 to 50 people. And a lot of that happens um, because those organizations are not big enough to be able to segment employee roles and responsibilities um, at a granular level, level. And there usually are functions that people were hired to do and the company needs done. And over time, those people that were doing them, they no longer want to do those. They want to stretch and move into something new. It's just what happens is we do a poor job of looking at that over time. And so suddenly when someone's underperforming in one of those areas and realizes it's not what they want to do, now what we haven't done is we haven't set them up for something that's more exciting, interesting, um, would make a bigger difference for the company. We've set them up to go look for the job that's more interesting and they leave. And in today's environment where people are leaving left and right, we really can't afford that. It's expensive. It takes a lot away from the company. It impacts the relationships that you have with your customers and with the other employees in the company. And it, it just, it's got to be dealt with. We've got to find a way to deal with that. Yeah. So, Jeff, the book is called Count Onable. Um, tell us a little bit about what people will learn from it and, and who is it for? So, the book is for you if you're a leader or an aspiring leader of a team. It's for you if you want to learn a very simple process, a simple way of going from the environment where you're always wondering if the, the tasks that you need done are going to be done by other people or if you're going to have to step in and just do them yourself. People, you know, they don't do a great job always of reporting what their status or progress is. So if you want to have a very easy mechanism to create an environment where there's trust and there's alignment between you and your team, then you'll learn how to do that in the book. It's very simple. Um, each of the chapters is like three or four pages, and you'll get a step you can use in every chapter. Excellent. So when you talk about the reporting of status, it, it speaks to communication. Obviously, effective communication is critical in business and in life. Talk about the communication aspect of what we're doing here and becoming count onable. Sure. You know, when I started uh, down the path of helping companies, having been a CEO for 20 years and working with a lot of technology, finance and healthcare accounts, uh, helping them move their organizations forward, what I noticed was um, there were some big gaps in organizations and companies. One of the biggest ones that I found was that people would communicate, but not always be heard. And so I just want to share a personal story for a minute because I think this gets the point across best. My wife and I are foster resource parents, and, and we have um, a beautiful foster daughter today. Um, when she was just about one, a little under one, um, we, um, we went to visit some friends, and they have a seven-year-old daughter. And so my friend and I took the two girls out in, in the wagon and pulled them, the one-year-old and the seven-year-old, 
to dinner. And after dinner, we're on the way to, to the frozen yogurt shop for dessert. And I turn my head back and I see my one-year-old standing up in the wagon while it's moving. And she's crying. And I had my friend stop. And I asked, um, I took her and I comforted her. I put her back in the wagon and I, I asked the seven-year-old, I said, hey, did you see that that was happening? And she goes, yeah, I told you. I goes, oh, oh my goodness, I didn't hear you. Can I ask you a really big favor? If that happens again, would you be kind enough to make sure that I hear, that you hear me respond to your call? before you go back to your game. And she looked at me and she said the famous words we've all been well-trained to say, got it. <laughs> and then she went right back to her game, head down, thumbs moving, like it was not skipping a beat. But what did she get? I had no idea. So I said, hey, honey, I'm just curious. What'd you get? And her thumb stopped moving and five seconds passed and then 10 seconds passed. Now her dad was looking at me like I was nuts at this point. Like, why am I waiting? Right. But I just waited and about 15 seconds, she lifted her head and she said, you want to make sure that I hear you answer me if I call you and there's a problem. Now, it took 15 seconds for her to assimilate that. And a month later, when we were back in San Diego with them, and she came up to me to say, can my friends and I play with your daughter? I said to her, sure. And do you remember that conversation we had in the wagon? And without skipping a beat, she said, yeah, you mean the one where you want to make sure that I hear you answer me if I call you and there's a problem? And I said, yeah, that one. Now, I just want you to imagine for a minute, what would it be like if there were no retention problems? Like if when you talk to someone, they kept it. And a month later, they could recall it like that. That's effective communication. And it's missing in most of our communications with each other. I'm guilty of it. And I'm highly attuned to the fact that effective communication is what drives everything forward. So that's what I mean by effective communication. If you can just imagine that every person on your team was somebody that you could have the kind of conversation and check in and have them replay to you what you said. What would it be like in a world where, where you just knew that what you said was actually what they were going to do and not something else? <laughs> exactly. Great story. Jeff, we're bumping up on a commercial here, but before we go to break, just tell the audience very quickly a little bit about the C-Level Roundtable and where they can reach you if they want to learn more about you and how they can get the book. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Dave. So uh, my website is countonable.com and um, the book is Count Onable. You can get a hold of me, reach me there. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, C-Level Roundtable was founded um, eight years ago 
And I worked with over uh, 50 CEOs and executives to find that effective communication was an enormous problem. And in working with over 300 companies, we developed the countable method and process for ensuring effective communication created trust and alignment in organizations. Today, what we do is we actually take organizations from a place of confusion to a place of empowerment. And if you're interested in talking more about that, please reach out to me. I'd love to have that conversation. Yeah, please do. And you and I are going to have that conversation right after the break. So don't go anywhere, Jeff. You watching and listening, sit tight. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. I'm Bob Hokertle from Kings Road Brewing Company. I'm here to tell you about a brand new show on RVN television called Cooking with the King. Each week, we're going to taste and sample some of the best beers the Kings Road Brewing Company has to offer. And we're going to talk to area chefs and restaurant owners as we pair our beer with their signature dishes. We're going to teach you how to cook and eat like a king. Cheers. A stroke can be easy to detect. A loved one can't speak. Perhaps they can't move. But there's another sign of a stroke that many of us can't see. It's called spatial neglect, and it can occur during or after a stroke, causing distorted visual movements. Fortunately, there's a solution by using optical prism technology during rehabilitation. If you or a loved one have experienced a stroke, ask your doctor about spatial neglect. Spatial neglect. See the whole picture at KesslerFoundation.org. Are you burned out? Disenfranchised? And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm still Dave Bookbinder, and we're talking with Jeff Cohen, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Sea Level Roundtable and author of the book Count Onable. Uh, Jeff, I want to continue from uh, where you left off at the end of the first segment. Uh, you talked about the, the critical elements of trust and alignment. And I know you've got a framework for putting those two pieces together. So talk about why they're important and, and how you utilize those. Well, you know, there's there's um, three frameworks that I published inside of the book that come together. There's the trust framework, the alignment framework, and then there's the combination of the trust alignment framework together. And, you know, the thing about trust is it's always falling out. People are always looking for where you said you would do something and they were counting on it and it didn't happen. Or you said you were going to do one thing and you wound up having to do another. That gives them evidence that there's a breakdown in trust. And a lot of that comes from the fact that when you want to create where your business is going, where your department is going, how we fit into the bigger picture, what we're accomplishing, without effective communication, it's really, really difficult to know that your people are actually doing the things that help your organization be aligned. It's kind of like um, I'm in Los Angeles, right? And you know, you've got five or six executives on your team. They're all working as hard and as fast as they possibly can. And what's happening is they are um all in sports cars, and one of them's on the 405, the other one's on the 10. Like, everybody's going different places. 
But really, you just want everyone to go from Los Angeles to San Francisco. And you want them all to take the same road, be on the same bus at the same time. You don't have to supercharge the speed of how things get done. What you really want to do is ensure that all of the dependencies that each team member has are aligned with each other to fulfill on your goals as the visionary, right? And so alignment is key. When alignment is out, trust breaks down very, very fast. And so if you look at the trust alignment framework, you know, there are basically three components of the trust framework. You need to have some shared values. You need to know what the ability of all of the resources, people are included in that on your team are and in your company. And there needs to be effective communication. Now, additionally, there's the alignment framework, which says, hey, if you've got a vision and you know what the actions are that are priorities that fulfill on that vision, and you're effective at communicating that vision, and everyone is in tune with it, now you can really focus on what the outcome is. But what happens in most organizations is there's someone in the organization that's right. Now, when I say right, what that really alludes to, Dave, is somebody's right. Well, if someone's right, there must be someone that's wrong. But we never say that. We just always say, no, I'm right, or do it my way, or this is the way it needs to be done. And that leaves no room for growth and improvement of our people. There's nothing empowering about that. And if you're in an organization where you're disempowered and your team is disempowered, what's not going to happen is you're not going to get what you want because there's only two states. There's knowing that you're right and getting what you want. And if you know you're right, you'll never get what you want because there's no room for people to participate in that. And they leave. And you wonder why they're leaving? That's what they're leaving from. They're tired of being made wrong. And so that's a bit about the functionality of how the trust environment framework works. I can just tell you in my experience working with clients, um, I get text messages from a few of them um, and I'll coach them through whatever the issue is because it comes up like on a dime. Um, I'll, on a text message, and I have one we're going to publish as a... Um, a post next week um, on LinkedIn and social media because it really exemplifies what it means for people to have effective communication. Just recognize that they don't have to be right. And when you're able to consider that you could be transformed, a transformed individual, someone that doesn't have to be right, but someone that's actually looking to empower other people, just imagine how strong your team is going to be. They're going to make some mistakes. Let them. That's how people learn. Yeah. You want to create the next generation of leaders. You want to be able to take a vacation without working two to four hours a day. You need people, people you can trust and count on. And those people have to be grown and nurtured. 
Yeah. So, um, I hope that helps. Uh, I, I know I went a little bit deep in some of those areas, Dave. No, all, all good there, Jeff. And the thing is, look, there are some leaders who um, understand intrinsically that empowering the team makes a whole lot of sense and they get it. Um, there are still folks out there who are of the, look, here's just what I want to get done and, and let's just get it done. So as you're talking to those folks, presumably because they're, they're coming to you, they're working with you to make a transformative change in the way they do things, talk about the, the return, if you will, the ROI on the the system and the behaviors that you're talking about? You know, um, it's the one thing that will pay you more benefit than just money. Because if you think about, if you think about it, if you're getting the priority actions done that you want to get done and your team is good at it and they take it on like they own it instead of you're forcing it on them, then the ROI is enormous, not just in getting the work done or helping clients out, but in keeping your people, maintaining the great organization you have, and growing people into leaders that grow leaders in your organization. You will make money hand over fist, but more importantly, you'll be happy, you'll have a family life, you'll take a vacation and spend the real quality time you want to spend without being in meetings on the vacation. I mean, my family hated that. We'd go on vacation to Mexico and I'd be working half a day. I mean, really, they wanted dad. They didn't want mom and sometimes dad. Like that was my chance to be connected. And I might not have been divorced had I really focused on them like that. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, key benefits. It doesn't just happen in business. It happens in your life. Let's face it. None of us is holding the jobs we hold so that we can say on our tombstone, I was CEO, right? We want to say, hey, people love me. I was a great dad. I was a great husband. I was a great partner. I was a great whatever. And the last thing they're going to see on your tombstone is I work four hours a day on vacation. Yeah, exactly. Jeff, we're getting down to the short strokes here. We only have about three or so minutes to go in the program, but I, I wanted to give you a chance to articulate your why. What inspired you to do this, to write the book, and, and what's driving you? So, you know, I've shared a little bit of here and there uh, today, Dave, about my life, but what really inspires me is creating an environment in organizations where mom and dad can come home from work, in today's case, it might be walk out of their home office to the dinner table and create for their children that they love their job and give their children the opportunity to see, hey, when you grow up, you can do anything you want and love it. Because so often today, the conversations around dinner table are about how I hate my boss. <laughs> how I hate my job. And I want people to love what they do because when people love what they do, the benefits are so rewarding. I've started um, my executive curated peer groups again because I'm putting people together that have like-minded vision, mission, uh, roles, responsibilities, and can support each other. 
It's more than coaching because like you actually get to create um, a relationship with peers, right? And when you have that and you know you're in a safe environment, you can share all of the things that cause you pain that you can't necessarily bring home, that you can't necessarily bring to the executives on your team. Heck, you might not even bring it to your best friend, but you bring it to people that you know have your back. And if you're interested in having that freedom and space where you can collaborate and brainstorm and deal with issues that are sensitive for you, that's a place to come. And I'd love to talk to you about that. Awesome. Jeff, uh, we're out of time, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers and sharing your story with us. Hey, Dave, it's such a pleasure to be here. And I look forward to talking to anybody that's interested in being Count Honorable. Count Honorable. There you go. That's it. Uh, thanks, Jeff. We've been talking today with uh, Jeff Cohen, who is the CEO and founder of Sea level Roundtable and the author of that book he just showed you, Count Honorable. It's available everywhere, so make sure you grab your copy. Uh, again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their businesses are worth or what their intangible assets are worth. You can find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to have a conversation. And last but not least, thank you for watching and listening to this show. Can't do it without your support. And uh, truly, totally, totally appreciate it. We will see you next time, gang. That's all we have here for today. So until then, take care, and we'll see you next week on Behind the Numbers.